I'm going to just welcome everyone. This is the second in our 14 webinar series on self-love. And um, I usually do an intro about lipedema, but I did that on Tuesday. So if you're new and if you'd like to see that um, intro about lipedema, it's quite good, I might say myself. <laughs> It took a lot of time to develop it. So you can go to some uh, webinar number one, which was on February 1st in the replay. And there's a 10, 15 minute intro about lipedema. And if that's something that you want, go and watch it. But we wanna maximize our time today. So I'm gonna introduce Gail and Gail's gonna introduce Carrie. Gail is our Director of Coaching and Community Manager and overall amazing heart-centered friend and colleague and fun person to play with. So <laughs> I'm going to say, Gail, welcome, and I'm going to put myself on mute. Oh, I can't. I'm showing the slides. So um, <laughs> I won't put myself on mute, but I will um, stop my video. So well, you're going to disappear when you start your stop your video. No, it'll see you again. Yeah, but you know, yeah, but that's okay. Okay. <laughs> we, the, the reason why is we really want to focus on Carrie. So Carrie okay. and her presentation was what okay. we'll see. Okay. And then when, when it's Carrie's turn to start talking, and then I'll, I'll block my video off also. Yes, that sounds okay. good. All okay. right. Thanks, Catherine. I'm Gail Straker. I am the Director of Coaching and um, the Community Manager for Lipedema Simplified. Um, it has been a, a marvelous journey for me. As I get, as I have been part of the coaching program, the Coaching Collaborative Program, I have been absolutely thrilled to meet some amazing coaches, people that I never thought in my entire life I would get to meet. Now, we haven't rubbed elbows, actually, you know, or shaked hands, shooken hands. Wow. Uh, anyway, we haven't, you know, been actually physically with each other. But as you know, all of us haven't been able to do that. We're online. And being able to get to know Carrie Reedy through the last two C-SIGs has just been amazing. She brings so much to our community. Carrie, you're in Perth, correct? Yes. Yes. So in Western, Aust Western Australia, and she has so much information for us and so much um, compassion for our community. She comes to every single coaching check-in that she can and answers questions for everybody. And I am honored to introduce you to Carrie Reedy. Well, thank you very much for that introduction. It's lovely to be with you. It's very early in the morning here in Western Australia, but I, for most of you, I suppose it's at the end of a long week, a long day. So thank you for being um, here to listen to this presentation and to those that are listening later on um, to the recording. I really hope that the information that I share today will ring true, but at the same time, I hope it won't cause any um, particular grief for you because sometimes when we talk about these topics, it can, you know, it can really be um, something that kind of impacts our hearts because for many of us with lipedema, it's been a long, long battle and it's caused us a whole lot of grief. So 
I'm really excited about the topic I'm sharing today, but also about this whole month of self-love because self-love is so incredibly important. I love this quote from Lucille Ball where she said, love yourself first and everything else will fall into line. And yet for many of us, and, I, and I'm not speaking, I suppose, for everyone, but for many of us, this has been a much harder battle than maybe it has been for some other people. So hopefully the information that I share will be uh, beneficial to you and you'll be able to take something away from it that you can take and apply in your own life. Yeah, next slide, please. So what are we going to talk about today? So my topic is self-love, ditch the mind diet mindset. And so, of course, I'm going to explain what a diet mindset is, how this diet mindset can develop. Also going to spend a bit of time talking about the relevance of a diet mindset, particularly to those with lipedema. I'm not just going to throw that out at you and say, here's this thing. Um, we're actually going to talk about what we can do to try and break this cycle. And then in the end, I'm going to round it up just briefly at the end by talking about how a ketogenic lifestyle aligns with ditching the mindset. Because I often find when I talk about this topic with people that they're like, oh, well, you know, wouldn't a ketogenic lifestyle just be one more uh, way of dieting? And I'm going to kind of bring it back around to help you understand how I see these things a little bit differently. Next slide, please. One of the things that I find when I'm coaching women, um, particularly those with lipedema, is either they will say this to me almost in their first breath or it's something that sort of jumps out at me from the intake form and they say, I've tried every diet under the sun. I'm just really curious at this point, if you want to put it in the chat, I would love to hear whether you feel like this is a statement that you can uh, agree with or, you know, double, triple agree with. It's really what I find quite common, um, not only in this community, as I said, but across society these days that dieting has become such a entrenched part of the way that we live our lives. So yeah, I'm seeing lots and lots of comments. Yes, 100%. Yes, agree. Uh, more than once yeah <laughs> it feels um that way and often um i i ask my clients like which diets have you tried and and they're almost by the time they get to 10 diets i'm like oh okay yep i i i see that you really have tried so many things and it really has in many ways lipedema has set us up for this the next slide please i i think um it's really common to, especially at an early age, be feeling like you're different to everybody else and feeling like you need to do all of these different things to try and manage what usually in the early stages you don't know is lipedema. And I think that's why lipedema sets us up for this condition where we have, you know, tried and tried and tried so many diets. But it's not uncommon in addition to years and years of your life spent dieting that the focus to improve body shape, body competition, composition has led to significant periods of time when you have cut calories really, really low. Um, there's even potentially been times when you've starved yourself. Some use exercising as a form of compensating for food and ultimately over-exercising. Some have got to the point where they have used liposuction, diet pills, injections, which are more common these days, diuretics, gastric banding, all of these 
it's not uncommon to have tried many of these things to try and improve body, body composition. But what I would say is that some of these things help for some of the time, but for many, they're not long-term solutions. I even find women who have gone down the medical route and, and had liposuction, unless the diet mindset and the thoughts change, then, you know, there can be follow on, you know, five, 10 years later, they've found that the liposuction wasn't a long-term solution. The next slide, please. What I often say to people when they ask me about things like surgery or, or you know, injections, which is, like I said, a really common one, especially here in Australia at the moment, short-term solutions to a long-term problem almost never actually addresses the real underlying issue. And whilst they can be really beneficial in the short term, ultimately we want to be looking at a short term, but also a longer term uh, way of addressing what's going on with lipedema. Yep, next slide, please. So the message that I want to share with you today really comes from my heart. And I hope that anything that I say will go directly into your heart. And I think in this particular month of love and self-love in, in, you know, around Valentine's Day, I really want you to take the things that I'm saying today uh, from a compassionate point of view. Some of the things I say may, may be triggering. Um, it's not that I'm, I purposefully want to do that for you, but I think this is a really important message to share. And it certainly for me comes from a place of compassion. And I hope that you take it from a point of compassion too. Next slide, please. I really want this to be a no guilt zone. Um, I, I often say to people, we don't know what we don't know. And for many of us, our years of, of dieting, our years of um, feeling negative towards ourselves and our body are simply because we didn't know what we don't know now. Um, some of the things I say might leave you feeling like, oh, gee, I wish I hadn't done that. But please no self-recrimination, no blame. We didn't know what we didn't know. We can't go back and change what's happened in the past. So this is really about a message from, from today on. You know, what, what are we going to start or how are we going to start thinking slightly differently about ourselves and about food and about exercise and about diet based on the things that we come to understand today? So like I said, no guilt uh, let's just focus on moving forward. Next slide. There's a couple of concepts I want to share. The first one is the dieting cycle. And we're kind of going to move through this in a, in a fast-paced way because I think a lot of these things will ring true with you. Um, next slide, please. Uh, the fact that so many said yes, almost like double yes, 200% yes to having um, spent a lot of time um, in the past dieting. It's not uncommon to think, oh, I wish I could lose some weight, uh, especially with lipedema. We do want to make a difference for this body composition. So we start dieting. Next slide. Often when we initially uh, embark on a diet, we're highly motivated. Um, we start to get some results. Uh, we get some internal reward feeling like, oh, I'm making a difference. We also um, commonly get external rewards. Other people are saying, oh, are you doing something different? Oh, you know, you, 
you know, you, you look great or any other sort of feedback that we might get, which is, which is nice. You know, we all like to get that sort of feedback. So it's very, very um, motivating. Uh, next slide, please. What happens after a period of time of dwelling in this place where we're getting lots of nice feedback, we're feeling good about what we're doing, we ultimately find that being in this situation of dieting where, like I said before, we're either cutting calories or we're you know, doing some other way of eating, ultimately what we find is that willpower alone doesn't cut it anymore. So this could be weeks into the experience. It could be months. It could be you know, even a year or two into a way of eating where eventually we get to that point where we just can't white knuckle it anymore. We can't just push through. Um, next slide. What often happens once we um, get to that point where we you know, don't have the willpower to keep going with what we're doing, we start to give in to our old habits. We might think, oh, I'm just going to have a, I don't know, this is the example that people often say, I just had a couple of fries <laughs> and then, or, or I just had a piece of cake because it was someone's birthday and I just couldn't feel deprived any longer. And so, so I had that thing. Uh, once we give into old habits, we then move into the next phase of this dieting cycle. Can you just shift the slide, please? Yep. Unfortunately, at this point, often we give into the old habits. One habit leads to the next, leads to the next, and we start to feel really, um, I guess, yuck about ourselves. Maybe the food that we're eating, it sort of triggers a whole lot of um, old emotions. We start to kind of do a whole lot of negative talk to ourselves about giving in to these old habits. Uh, next slide, please. After we start to feel yuck about ourselves, um, we typically, and, and I'm not saying everyone goes through this cycle in this exact same way, but this is just typically what I see and what I hear is once we get to that point where we're feeling really negative about ourselves, we simply sort of throw our hands in the air and go back to, you know, eating emotionally. We're feeling negative internally, so we turn to food as a source of comfort. Next slide, please. We then start gaining weight again, which, you know, is incredibly disappointing after all of the effort that we've made in the early part of the cycle. Um, what we then do is we might hover around in this space where we're gaining weight for a while and then next slide we get to that point where we're frustrated we start to think about losing weight again and we get back on this merry-go-round I'm just curious can anyone see themselves in this cycle I think it's probably quite common certainly from the ladies that I work with it is incredibly common that they go through this. So just put it in the chat if you like. Yes, yeah, okay. <laughs> I've certainly seen some yeses. So I think some of the things that I'll say would, would ring true. And again, no guilt. So let's move on to the next slide. What happens when we go around this merry-go-round, around this cycle a number of times, we kind of get to the point where we're so frustrated, we almost start to think of, you know, dieting is, you know, such a terrible thing. Uh, if we start to think about food as a terrible thing, you know, we start to sort of have all these negative feelings impacting our body image and how we feel about ourselves, which just continues playing into this cycle of thinking, well, I need to do something different. I need to lose some weight. And we get back on this merry-go-round. Next slide. This... Um, 
can, this diet cycle can certainly be part of this picture. But I think we also need to acknowledge that we live in a world where diet culture is really strong. Um, those of you that remember Twiggy from the 60s, prior to the 1960s, uh, being voluptuous was actually, you know, it's something that was aspired to, you know, the, the way that people dress, the way that people uh, took care of their bodies. These things were considered to be uh, beneficial and healthy. And then Twiggy came along and she was this like, what do they call it, stick thin lady and she was in the magazines and all of a sudden it, that was deemed as the ideal. But she wasn't the only one. It kind of fluctuated across the 70s and 80s and then we had uh, people like uh, Kate Moss was a, a supermodel in the 90s and she was also really, really thin. But it's many of the social media influences. And I've said in here in the 2020s, but I actually think, the whole, you know, the, the 2000s have been a time of social media, the influencers saying this is how the ideal person should look. I think what's really important to uh, acknowledge at this point, and, and I say this with compassion, I say this with, you know, deep conviction that thin doesn't necessarily equate healthy. And yet, as a society, we've kind of had this overlaid, this, this overriding message that if, if you look in this particular way, then you're going to be healthy. But it's also true to acknowledge that being overweight and deemed overweight in terms of you go to the doctor, they check your BMI, they say, oh, you're in an overweight category or you're in an obese category, that doesn't necessarily equate to unhealthy either. For many, it does, but up to 30% of the population who are sitting in that overweight category are actually metabolically healthy. So, We've been kind of led by society to believe that we have to look and be a certain way, but that doesn't necessarily hold true. Next slide. I did notice someone put in the chat that they do remember Twiggy. <laughs> I was looking at some pictures the other day and I'm like, wow, that would have put a huge impact on many women if they thought that's particularly how they needed to look. But she had genetics that that was her way. It's not necessarily the genetics that we have. But in, in addition to the diet cycle, in addition to the societal norms and the expectations, we know that the media portray thinness as some sort of prize that should be desired. Um, we also have situations where other people's insecurities around us get outsourced to us. I had a client the other day that, that, that rang me and she said, I need to lose weight because my husband doesn't like fat people. And my, my heart just ached for this lady. I thought that's a huge um, extra layer to add on to whatever uh, she has going on because she already wasn't feeling great about um, her shape and size. And then she has a spouse that puts that pressure on her. But it may not be a spouse. It may be um, a parent growing up. I also hear that commonly, especially for younger girls, that their parents have said, oh, you shouldn't eat so much. And yet, you know, they're already not eating enough. So, you know, there's lots of other pressures that come around us. I think sometimes the uncomfortableness um, or the heaviness that comes with, with the lipedema can impact this um, diet mindset as well. Many of us have a lot of positive beliefs about the merits of dieting. Um, that's obviously a societal kind of impact. Uh, our culture, as you would all recognize, encourages restriction. Uh, we often get reinforcement by well-meaning friends and family when we do actually lose weight. And that, again, plays into that diet cycle, but it can also just be one more impact on us 
that leads us into this tricky place where we just don't feel so good about ourselves. And of course, a history of trauma in our lives can lead us to um, trying to find some areas of our lives that we have some control in. And often food is one of the only things that we have control over. So this too can play into it. But what I like to think about is it just becomes a perfect storm. There's not one or two. There's usually many of these factors that have led to this perfect storm in our lives where we've developed what I call a diet mindset, where our focus is on dieting, weight loss, and our body dissatisfaction impacts this to the point that it significantly impacts our lives. And, and I see this across the spectrum. I'm, I work with people with um, eating disorders. I work with people with um, like restrictive eating disorders as well as um, ladies with, with lipedema. So I see this across the board of how this is affecting us as a society. So I'm not just saying this is a problem for us with lipedema, but it is something that's really, really entrenched in the way that we do things in our modern world. Next slide. I think what happens once we get into this mindset is that we start to see food as the enemy. We see our body as the enemy. And for some, not all, but exercise becomes a way of punishing ourselves if we eat more than we think that we should or could. Um, and we often get into this mindset that we can only ever truly be happy and love ourselves when we look a certain way, when we get to some magical weight uh, that we have deemed is suitable for ourselves. I, I actually would throw out BMI out of anything I do if I could, because I think it's so misleading that it puts a lot of pressure on, on us as women. But I think the key message where I talk about this diet mindset is because the longer we stay in this cycle of dieting, uh, giving in, dieting, giving in, and going around and around that merry-go-round, the more damage that we actually do to our bodies. The next slide, and I'll just explain a little bit more about what, what can happen from a biochemical point of view in our bodies. And I'm going to particularly talk about this in terms of one of the key things that many, many of us um, bought into in the probably the late 80s, 90s, is that we gave up all fat in our diet. Years of dieting and rigidity around food can actually deplete us of certain nutrients, minerals, and phytonutrients. Phytonutrients are plant-based compounds. They're not vitamins or minerals. They're other types of compounds that do really important things in our body. But over time, and the longer that we keep going through this diet cycle, the more likely we are to become deficient in things like zinc, iron, vitamin B12. Uh, many people in their attempts to lose weight will either switch to a vegetarian or a vegan diet for a period of time. Um, and that can ultimately lead us to being B12 deficient and zinc deficient. If we've been avoiding fat for a long, long time, which is really common um, as a mindset in our world, it's easy to become deficient in the um, fat-soluble vitamins. These are things like D, E, K, and A. And we also know that um, significant dieting and the stress on our body associated with dieting can lead us to being magnesium deficient. And all of these deficiencies compound what's going on. They can increase feelings of having a low mood. Our brain needs uh, many of these nutrients and healthy fats. The myelin sheath around our nerves needs uh, healthy fat to be uh, able to protect our nerves. The cell membranes, every single cell in our body 
has a membrane around it. Actually, that's not true. <laughs> Most of them, our red cells don't. Everyone has a, 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 um, a cell membrane that's made of fat. And so if we're not eating enough, it will leave those cell membranes more permeable, more likely to be damaged. It will impact then the mitochondria, which are the little energy producing factories in our cells. So we need to be having more healthy fat in our diet for good levels of energy. And yet for so many years, we were taught that fat is the enemy and we needed to avoid it at all costs. Many of our hormones are made from fat and we can become hormonally imbalanced when we're restricting things like that. But anything that we're significantly restricting can lead to these sorts of issues. And we know for women with lipedema and ultimately lipolymphedema or lymphedema that the lymphatic system actually needs fats, healthy fats in it to to produce more um, fluid lymph that's going to be able to travel around the body better. And that's something that we all um, are going to benefit from. Yep, next slide. So the question then becomes, how do we know whether this is something that um, we have developed in terms of this diet mindset? And so I'm just going to run through a couple of points here that if you have these sorts of thoughts, then it really is a clue that you have developed a diet mindset over time. And like I said, no guilt. No, I don't want you to feel like, oh, that's just one more thing. I'm really sharing this as a sharing of knowledge and as a sharing of compassion, because once we can recognize these things, it gives us something concrete that we can start to do to turn things around. So if you have a belief, and I say if we believe that weight loss will create happiness and uh, health, then, and more particularly happiness and feeling good about ourselves, then we may have developed this unhealthy relationship with dieting. If we believe that we can only be happy when we've lost a certain amount of weight or we've lost trust in our body, if we've developed a sense of powerlessness when it comes to food and our food choices, and even if we've passed on that responsibility of our food choices onto someone else, then these can also be signs that we've ultimately developed an unhealthy relationship with dieting. If we lose the ability to know how best to feed ourselves due to so many failed attempts at dieting, then this is also another sign. And this is something I hear really commonly from ladies that they're like, I just don't know what to eat anymore. I don't know what's right. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know how to feed my body. I don't know what to do. This kind of tells me that over a period of time that we've developed some really tricky uh, thoughts about food. Um, you know, it may be that we've started to categorize foods as good foods or bad foods, healthy foods, unhealthy foods, and we've developed a lot of rigidity around our thinking about food. So these are the sorts of thoughts that can contribute to it, but they're not the only ones, but these are the common ones that I hear from people. Yep, next slide. I reiterate, please don't beat yourself up if any of the things that I've said today ring true. Be, please be kind to yourself, especially the things that we're talking about today. I did notice a couple of things pop up in the chat about some things that have happened in people's pasts and that have contributed to these. Please view this through some compassionate eyes that, yeah, I can see that over a period of time I've developed this sort of thinking. What we're going to focus now on is what we're going to do to start turning this diet mindset around. Next slide, please. The first thing that's really important is that we recognize it and we start to recognize its impact in our lives. And so rather than having these 
negative thoughts about food, negative thoughts about weight. You know, I would say it's an opportunity to reframe our thinking and shift the focus from weight alone to start to focus on health and well-being as our main priority. What we want to do is have a new affirmation or a new mantra in our lives that I'm eating in a way to nourish my body and become healthier and healthier every day. I would even say to you, take a screenshot of that, print it out on some pretty paper, write it, stick it on your fridge or somewhere else in your kitchen so that every time you're in there preparing food, you're thinking about the way that food is there to nourish your body, to help you do all the things that you would like for you and your body to be able to do. But change the way that you think about food and other things to focusing on health and well-being as your number one priority. Next slide, please. We also want to assess if we have, in fact, started to demonize certain foods. The reframe in this is to recognize that food is not the enemy. If we can focus on food being fuel to help our bodies move, to help build muscles, to help have a strong metabolism, to prevent disease in the future, and to support optimal functioning. If we can think about food in those terms, it can really make a difference to the way that we uh, approach every meal. It takes some of the, the angst out of the food choices that we're making. From a health perspective, what we want to do is learn which foods serve us and our body really well. And then we want to eat them with joy and um, thanksgiving. The more that we focus our food choices on nourishing our body, the better we're going to feel about those foods that we're eating. But I would also say at this point, not all foods will serve us well. So it is okay to avoid certain foods that uh, either cause us particularly inflammation or we know for women with lipedema can cause inflammation. I'm not saying at this point, hey, just love all the foods in the world and eat them with gay abandon. I, I, that's not the message that I'm sharing. But what I would want you to start thinking about is moving from having these negative thoughts towards food to enjoying food. Food, I think, can be such a wonderful part of our lives. And let's face it, we connect with family and friends eating meals. You know, we, we, we use food in our lives for many, many purposes. But I would encourage you to focus on that food being for fuel to really allow your body to do all the things that you want your body to be able to do. Next slide, please. We also, as best as we can, want to move on from weighing ourselves frequently. I, I have ladies that come to me with like a, a book that lists their weight every day for years. And I think that just puts so much pressure on ourselves. I would say to you as a reframe from this is our value as a human being, our value as a person is not defined by the number on the scales. We are so much more than our weight, our body shape or our body composition. Weighing ourselves every day or even you know, frequently multiple times a week just puts more and more focus on weight as being the key metric. And what I would say to you is we really want our health and our well-being to be our key metric. Um, there's next slide, um, Catherine, and I've got a few other bits and pieces I want to talk to you about scales. And really, I guess our weight on one level does matter. I'm not saying it's irrelevant because 
the more weight we're carrying, the more likely we are to be doing some damage to our joints and leading to degeneration, which ultimately can impact our mobility. So weight is one part of uh, the health picture, but I wouldn't want you to think it's the sole focus of our health picture. I actually talk to, to people about considering other metrics rather than focusing on the number of the, on the scales, which can be very, very misleading. You know, some people can find that just over the course of a very hot day, you know, they'll put on two, three, four kilos because they're storing more fluid. And the next day they might hop on the scales and start beating themselves up. Like, oh, I ate that particular thing yesterday. It's caused me all of these issues, but really it was something outside of their control. It was just, you know, being in hot weather. So we need to be mindful that those scales don't tell us the whole story. What I would rather uh, people focus on is how our clothes are fitting. Do we feel more comfortable in our own skin? Do we feel more comfortable in the clothes that we're wearing? Uh, Gail usually tells people before you start anything, uh, particularly we just recently went through the ketogenic quick start and she said to the ladies, take a picture of your hands and your feet and your face. And, you know, as you change the way that you're eating, compare. This is a really great way of seeing you know, these little incremental uh, progress steps along the way. I also like um, people to check their pathology, you know, as you're getting blood tests over time. What we want to see is the markers of health improving here. We want to see things like insulin resistance and ultimately bodily inflammation um, decreasing so that we know that we're heading in the right direction. But I also find things like greater endurance, more energy, better sleep, improved sense of well-being. These are amazing health metrics that we can, we can really gauge on a week-to-week basis and think, yeah, yeah, I'm actually feeling like things are going in the right direction. And that's a wonderful uh, feeling that we can have. Next slide, please. I think we also need to acknowledge, and, and sometimes I refer to this as just the the um, elephant in the room almost, that the more that we focus on, on our weight, the more stress and anxiety that we create in this whole cycle. And I think that it's important for us to recognize that stress and anxiety about our weight actually have a really negative uh, consequences in our body. They contribute to increased levels of cortisol in our body, which impacts blood sugar, And even when we're eating in a ketogenic way, if we're really, really stressed, we can still have high blood sugar that can be impacting uh, lipidema. It can be making it harder for us to accomplish the health goals that we have. So by reframing our thinking and aiming um, to focus on our health and living long, happy, healthy lives, rather than focusing on weight loss or a number on the scales, really can take some pressure off. And we won't have stress as such a key driver. I know that it, this is one of those things that's much easier to, to say than to actually do. But there are a number of techniques that we can use to help manage the stress and anxiety. But one of those really is reframing our thinking about all of these things. Next slide, please. The, the last of the points I just want to cover here is We really need to be mindful of whether there are people in our lives. It could be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be someone at work, you know, that puts pressure on us about our weight or the social media that we're we're seeing. It can put a lot of pressure on us. I have one particular friend 
And, and I, I guess as a nutritionist, it's not uncommon that people, when they talk to me, they start sharing their stories about weight or diets. But I have one particular friend and we always joke about it when she comes over. It's almost like my kids put their timer on. It's like within five minutes, she's going to be mentioning her current diet. <laughs> and they find that very um impactful that they my kids comment about how that leaves them feeling almost less than because they're not doing the same and I would say to you just be mindful of the people that you're around that may be putting an impact on the way that you feel about yourself whilst we can't ditch family and friends (laughs) what I would say is we can counterbalance that with a supportive community and especially a community that understands uh, lipedema and its associated comorbidities and, and a community that accepts us for just who we are. And I find Lipedema Simplified such a wonderful community to help counterbalance some of the influences that we have in our lives. If it's a social media influence, I would say just be really mindful and you may even want to stop following certain people if they leave you feeling worse rather than better about yourself. Next slide. It's important to acknowledge that we didn't develop this diet mindset overnight and it's not something that we can just mind over matter, say, okay, from today on, no diet mindset in my life. I think we need to be really um, honest about this, the impact it's had in our lives, but recognise that it's something that we can start to work through. Many of us have had this mindset or these thought processes become deeply entrenched in our brain. We talk about different neurological pathways in our brain that lead to our thinking. You know, this isn't just a little pathway. This has become a super highway, our way of thinking. It takes time to reprogram our thinking and we need to be kind and gentle to ourselves as we work through this. Uh, Allow yourself the time to, to move on without a whole lot of negative talk and chatter in our head that gets frustrated. You know, we're going to have great days where we're able to do this and then we're going to have other days where it becomes harder. If you need specific support in this area, reach out. You know, we have a lovely coach in our community that works in hypnotherapy that can help, uh, you know, help us to manage some of these thought processes that we've become deeply entrenched in. You know, just working with a focus on health can be a wonderful way to start turning this around. Next slide. Uh, One of the things that I just want to wrap up and say is that I often share a presentation like this with people and they say, well, that's fine. You've just told us get rid of all of the diet thinking, but now you're telling me that, you know, for my particular condition, there's a particular way of eating that's going to make a huge difference. And so they say, where does the keto way fit into this? Uh, Isn't it just one more diet? And what I would say to you, I know there's many in the group that always already focus on a ketogenic way of eating. There might be people that this is new to. My response to this question is, I don't believe a ketogenic way of eating is just one more diet. Uh, I believe that it's a way of life that many of us with lipedema can enjoy that actually helps us move away from the diet mindset. Next slide, please. I think the important thing for us to acknowledge is that if we eat in a ketogenic way with a focus on health and well-being, we're actually moving away from this diet cycle that I've already explained. We're moving into a non-diet life cycle, sorry, lifestyle rather than the diet cycle that we're in. 
Next slide. There are many, many profound benefits that come from a ketogenic way of eating that help us to build health, well-being, and improve many of our symptoms. So if we look at this way of eating rather than as a short-term intervention, but rather a long-term way of improving our health, it can certainly go a long way towards changing the way that we feel. We know that ketones that get produced in our body when we eat in a ketogenic way are highly anti-inflammatory. Inflammation is a key aspect of lipedema and anything that we can do to lower the level of inflammation in our body is going to have significant benefits. Next slide. A ketogenic way of eating also improves lymph vessel integrity, leading to improvements with swelling and better lymph flow, which of course will have flow on benefits to feeling like we have better mobility, that we are able to do things that maybe in the past we weren't able to do. Next slide. A wonderful, wonderful benefit of eating in a ketogenic way is that it's really, really common for me to hear very quickly when someone embarks on this lifestyle is that their level of pain decreases. And as our levels of pain decrease, this increases our quality of life. It also allows us to start moving around more, which leads to improved health. So it becomes very uh, positively reinforcing as we eat in a ketogenic way that we get these wonderful health benefits going on in our body. Next slide. Ketosis can increase our feelings of well-being. One of the things that often happens when we move into a ketogenic diet is we move from having a lot of carbohydrates to eating far more protein. Often we eat more protein than we've ever eaten in our lives. And this protein gets broken down in our body into amino acids. Our body then uses these amino acids to rebuild, but it also uses these amino acids to build neurotransmitters. And these neurotransmitters help us to feel better, which leads us to not emotionally eating as much. We feel better about ourselves. We feel better about our lives. And so this also has a really nice synergistic effect. Next slide. A well-formulated ketogenic way of eating gives us a framework. Rather than many of the diets that maybe we've embarked on in the past that have really rigid, firm sets of rules, you're only allowed to do this and this and this, Ultimately, a ketogenic way of eating is a framework and we don't need to be counting calories. We don't need to be actually counting our macros once we've been doing this for a while and we know what we're doing. Um, those of you that were in the recent um, ketogenic quick start will know that um, Dr. Carlos actually works in a way where he gives a list and he says, you know, these are the sorts of foods. Now you work out the meals that you want to eat based on these sorts of foods. And if you're doing this, you don't even need to count your macros. Um, some of you that might be some counting macros might be something you've done for a period of time. And it's okay from time to time to have a day where you think I'm going to use an app. I'm going to count my macros. I'm just going to see whether I'm in the ballpark of what I'm trying to accomplish. But counting macros every day uh, using apps has actually been shown in the research to contribute to a diet mindset rather than helping us move away from a diet mindset. They can actually keep us stuck rather than help us feel liberated and know what sort of foods are serving us and helping our bodies to feel better. Next slide. I believe that a well-formulated ketogenic way of eating 
is nourishing not only to our body, but also to our soul. I think for many people who have spent years and years cutting calories, starving themselves, um, kind of fighting off the cravings or eating boring food, drinking shakes multiple times a day, you know, this is a way to move back to real food that our body recognizes as food, that it nourishes us. And we can start moving on from some of those um, practices maybe that we've had in the past that have helped keep us stuck. Next slide. I just like to say at this point when we talk about ketogenic diets that, that ketogenic diets are a very much a blanket term. There is many different ways that people will do a ketogenic diet. Just be really mindful that when you jump online and think, oh, I'm going to start doing this particular way of eating, the more you look, the more different ways that people will encourage you to do it. Many of the ways that we see online treat keto as a fad diet or as a short-term intervention. What we're really encouraging women is to adopt what we call a whole food therapeutic ketogenic way of eating. This becomes a long-term uh, lifestyle. It's a framework. This is what I would really encourage you to, to do. I don't want to name any names, but I, I do um, have people come into me and say, I've just finished a keto program because I was promised I would drop, drop, drop a dress size in a, in a, in a month. You know, this is short-term intervention versus creating a long-term lifestyle. I reckon the more that we focus on a health promoting whole food way of eating, the more that we can move on from the diet mindset, the diet cycle. And you know what? This is a delicious way to eat. We don't feel deprived anymore. We can sit down and eat a delicious meal that doesn't feel like we're eating birdseed or rabbit food. We can really enjoy food again. We don't have to feel hungry. Feeling hungry is often something that women have associated with dieting that you know, you have to feel hungry to be doing something positive for your health. And I would say that not, doesn't have to be the case. We don't want to be feeling hungry by creating this whole food keto environment. We can move on from many of those things. And I think this is such a win that we can go back to enjoying food, that we can enjoy the way that it's making a huge difference for our body. Yeah, next slide. Just to really quickly summarize, because I do want to leave some time for questions. We want to move on from the diet mindset. We need to recognize its impact. We want to start reframing our focus to health and well-being rather than a number on the scales. We want to move on from demonizing foods to focusing on food as a way to support and fuel our body and finding the foods that do do that for us. We want to worry less about the scales and more about health metrics and we want to think about whether there's particular people or influences in our lives that are impacting us and find a supportive community that can counterbalance any of those impacts that we have in our lives. And there you go. I think we are done with the presentation, but I would really love to hear what questions you have. Uh, I want to be able to clarify any points that any of you may have had from my presentation because I really believe that knowledge is power when it comes to this. So I'll throw it back to you, Gail and Catherine, and uh, you can moderate any questions and we'll go from there. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Carrie. That was fabulous. I actually, Sorry. oh, I was going through going, oh, Gail, she says no guilt. You can't feel guilty. <laughs> right? As no, guilt. Guilt. <laughs> no guilt. No guilt. 
So as we, as I, I was noticing the questions um, coming up, and you were answering the questions actually as, as you were going, um, oh. you know, because it, we, as you're talking about how, how our feeling about, you know, we're rigid about food at the, in the mindset, and then someone's like, well, then how can we do keto if, if we're not, if we're not rigid, because keto's rigid. And as you went through, you showed us how keto wasn't really rigid. And it was fabulous. You you answered their questions almost before they had them. I mean, almost, <laughs> quite, almost. Um, so, wow, just wow. Thank you so much, Carrie. Um, Catherine, did you see any questions pop up that you want to be addressed or were you or was um, I the only one seeing questions? <laughs> yeah, no, Ruth said, how do I lose weight on keto if I don't count calories? Mm. Such a good question. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So by sticking to a framework where we're focusing on eating foods that are going to be nourishing to our body, we can improve our body's cues as far as knowing when we're hungry, knowing when we're satiated. I think sometimes we've passed that responsibility onto someone else that we, we forgot, we've forgotten how to listen to our bodies. So by eating in a ketogenic way, one is we try to bring ourselves back to uh, listening to those body cues. Uh, as far as counting calories go, um, how do I put this? So if we're eating in a ketogenic way, then on one level, calories don't matter. But I will just say, if we're following internet keto, and what we've found is that the, all of them are very, very high fat. And that's designed, that original ketogenic diet was designed to help people with epilepsy, with neurological conditions, and they do need to be high fat. But for women with lipedema, I don't think we need to be aiming for those really high fat foods. We, we do want to have healthy fat in our diet. We certainly do want to have healthy fat but we don't want to just keep adding fat to, to, our, to our diet. And so by naturally eating in a ketogenic way with that mindset of I'm going to enjoy the fat that naturally comes in the food I'm eating. Say I'm eating, you know, ground beef, that's going to have some fat in it. I'm having a piece of steak. I'm having a chicken thigh. That's naturally going to have fat in it. Avocados, uh, ultimately, if we nuts and seeds serve us, then we can include those. They will have fats in them. But when we're counting calories, we're focusing so much on that, you know, I've got to keep my calories under a certain number that that becomes our sole mindset. By focusing again on I'm going to do something that's healthy for me, we're not going to typically overeat when we're eating in a ketogenic way. Our bodies will recalibrate and we will know what's a good portion size for us and we will know what foods are serving us well. I don't know, Ruth, whether that fully uh, answered your question, but I do know scientifically counting calories can keep us stuck. Some people like to on occasions just, you know, check it out on one day and say, okay, how am I going? Because they've got so many years of having rigidity around calories that they that's a hard thing to let go, and they do want to know roughly what their calorie intake is. But I would say, please don't do that all the time because of the way that it keeps us stuck. What we do want to be focusing on is healthy foods that are nourishing our body and allow those body cues to come back. Another, another question, Carrie, that, um, that we have, and it, it popped up in the chat 
I guess it's not a question, it's a statement, but I would like you to address it. She says, cutting out carbs and sugar is restrictive. It is, but what I would say, and, and, and I acknowledge that, and, you know, obviously I've just said don't demonize foods, but what we need to focus on is ourselves and our health and acknowledge the damage that those particular foods are doing to us in terms of creating insulin resistance, creating metabolic dysfunction. If a food doesn't serve us well, it's not that we're demonizing a particular food, it's that we're acknowledging that that particular food doesn't serve us. And I think we can all recognize that there are some foods that uh, leave us feeling better, but there are certainly some foods that leave us feeling worse. Um, and so, yes, I, in some ways we're being restrictive and that we're saying we avoid those particular foods. But at the same time, I say to people, there are other options. So, you know, it doesn't mean that we can never eat something sweet again. What we can do is we can find a better alternative to use and we can still enjoy those things um, for, on, on occasions, you know, like it's a birthday, it's a celebration, it's a it's something else. We can still enjoy those things from time to time uh, by using some of these other options like stevia or monk fruit, um, just finding healthier alternatives that do serve us and our health better. Okay, so we have a, a question from Nicole. Mm -hmm. um, she says, it sounds like we've been guinea pigs for the non-fat movement. Do we know if there's a percentage of women with lipedema today that is higher than it was 75 to 100 years ago? Has the lack of fat in our early formative years contributed to our lipedema? And I would like to also say, for those of us with lymphedema also, um, has it been a contributing factor to our issues? Wow, Nicole, what an amazing question and what a well thought out question. I don't know the statistics. I, uh, Catherine, you may actually know because you've done a lot of research in this area. My guess would be, yes, there are more women with lipedema now than there were in the past, but you may have some more clarity on that. That's what's really interesting about it <clears throat> is we um, did some um, interviewed a lymphedema therapist and doctor, Paula Stewart, who talked about lipedema as the mother of the species. There's evidence of lipedema going back literally thousands of years. Um, in um, Greece, there's a museum with figures of women that are classic lipedema. Mm. Now, whether there are more, that is a really interesting question because I really believe that it's been there and it's gone undiagnosed and unrecognized. And so it, it's really fascinating as we are getting more mm, out there and people are understanding a little more about it. There are more and more women coming forward. So it's a fascinating journey. Mm. Absolutely. I would say that, you know, that the, the years from sort of the 60s on where rather than just focusing on eating real food, we moved to um, this idea that fat, eating fat in our diet was a problem. So we went to low fat diets. We uh, are in the era of more processed foods that our body just doesn't necessarily recognize that's leading to inflammation in the body. 
you know, that becomes a bit of a, a like a perfect storm in and of itself, the way that our food um, choices, the way that our food supply has changed over time, the impacts of society, just we're more stressed now than we likely have been in the past. I think mm-hmm. all of these things factor into an increase of, of lipedema. But it's interesting what you say about lipedema being the mother. Um, I actually have found plenty of research that suggests that in many ways lipedema is protective yes. rather than us ending up with uh, all of the um, cardiovascular issues, the, the, you know, the issues with um, heart health and, and that whole metabolic syndrome picture that we see. You know, it's like our genetics have said, oh, this is the way it's, you know, the, the, the impacts of society and the food that we eat have impacted us. And they're just two different ways of our body responding to the same sort of triggers. So in my mind, I would think based on what I know about our food supply, <laughs> that we're likely to see more issues now. But like you said, it's, it's in many ways, it's, it's women were designed to, to actually store any excess calories that they're getting or any excess energy they're getting from their food in places different um, to other people. And, they, and that is a protective way to go. Yeah. As much as it's frustrating to us, right? <laughs> it's yeah, it's yeah, frustrating yeah. to us that this is the way, but it's our body's way of in some ways protecting us. So another there's a couple other questions that I, I want to just combine together because I think we can you can answer them together. Um so can high levels of stress or cortisol stop your body from getting into ketosis is the first mm-hmm. portion. And then the second one is from somebody else, but I, but I think we can talk to to it together. Um, she says, I've been trying to eat the ketogenic way and have given up grain, but even a little milk and sugar in my tea twice a day seems to prevent ketosis. I don't believe I'm in ketosis. Is there something I need to do to get there, to get into the ketosis? So let me initially address the stress and say absolutely stress can impact our ability to to move into ketosis. What happens when our body is stressed? It triggers this cascade. Um, And and when I say our body is stressed, our mind is stressed. We've got some sort of external event, but also stress can come internally from our body. It will release cortisol. You know, you'll get adrenaline, all sorts of other things. What the cortisol does is it releases stored energy from our muscles, from other places in our body, which will bring our blood sugar up. And so all of the positive things that we're doing in terms of trying to reduce um, carbohydrates to put us into a state of ketosis, if our body's then liberating blood sugar from its stores, it's going to counteract that. So we want to be doing all sorts of wonderful things to to minimize the amount of stress. And sometimes we can't change the external factors, but things like mindfulness, meditation, breathing practices, these are things that we have some control over and we can start doing these things to try and balance out some of that stress and bring that level of cortisol down. Like I could talk for ages about the role that stress plays, but um, in terms of just initially thinking about stress is that we need to acknowledge it and then we need to try and work on some ways to counterbalance that. In terms of being able to get into ketosis, um, just a little bit of sugar and a little bit of milk, you know, it may just be enough that it's beyond your particular body's carbohydrate tolerance threshold. 
Uh, what I would say to you is if you can move from milk to a little bit of watered down cream, that will bring the carbohydrate level of that down. I know you would probably think, well, milk, cream, what's the difference? But actually there is a difference in the level of carbohydrates in them. So if you take like uh, what I often have is in the fridge, a glass that I've put, you know, like this much in the bottom of cream and then I put water in the top, given a good stir and I use that. So I'm only getting a really little bit. It still flavors um, whatever I'm drinking it with, but I don't get the carbohydrate hit. In terms of actual sugar, if you're using real sugar, then that's going to be an impact. We don't need much sugar uh, to impact our body's ability to get into ketosis. So I would suggest trying testing out some of the uh, sugar alternatives. Many people find that uh, stevia in the form of drops uh, doesn't have like a better aftertaste. Some stevia powders do. And if that's the only sort of stevia or monk fruit that you've tried, then I would say try a liquid option try just one drop of that in your coffee or tea or whatever you're drinking and see whether that can make a difference. It may be other factors as well. It may just, it may not just be, you, you know, the milk and the sugar, but happy to have a bit more of a conversation about what you're actually eating and what may be contributing at some point. And, and so there is one more question and that's going to be our last one coming in, but someone says, so do we not count carbs if we don't count things? Okay. So there's lots of different ways that people can do a ketogenic diet. I, what Dr. Carlos and I uh, talk about staying under 20 grams of net carbohydrates a day. So some people, you know, after years and years of being really, you know, rigid about what they've eaten, get a bit stressed out about that concept of, oh, what do you mean? I'm not counting anything. I'm not tracking anything. How do I know how well I'm doing? But Dr. Carlos has an amazing way of presenting this and saying, if I'm sticking to the, the sorts of foods and there's lots and lots of different options there, if I'm sticking to this list and I'm eating in roughly these sorts of proportions, I will be getting under 20 grams of carbohydrates a day. You know, there, there is no question that if I'm doing this particular way of doing keto, that I'm going to be under this. And so we don't necessarily need to count. Ultimately, we need to test this out and just see how our body feels. And we use our own body as a barometer. You know, the days that maybe we've eaten too many carbs, we wake up in the morning <clears> and we're a bit stiff and sore. <laughs> that becomes the barometer. Like, oh, maybe I overdid it yesterday. Today I'm really going to be focusing on eating more protein, eating the healthy options and, and really focusing on that. And, and that to me is, is far better than counting calories or, or count, tracking you know, every day what we're eating. If anyone wants to track anything, I actually say track protein, <laughs> which is so different to what most people recommend. But I, I, I would say the vast majority of my clients don't eat anywhere near enough protein. And I, I think see. that's one of the conditions the conditions in society that as women, it's it's not ladylike to sit down to a steak. <laughs> I love sitting down to a steak, but we've kind of you know, maybe put some messages in our in our dieting mindset that, you know, eating protein is problematic, but I would say focus on protein. So what you're, you're talking about is raising our protein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It keeps yeah. us full and it, and it does a lot of repair work in our body that maybe we haven't been able to do in the past. Right, right. So thank you so much, Carrie. Before, before we wrap this up, 
Um, I just want to make sure that everybody knows how to get a hold of you. You're one of our coaches in our coaching collaborative. And there's there's two different ways that I know of to get a hold of you. One is to go to lipedemasimplified.org and go to our coaching tab. And you're inside that coaching tab and they can schedule a um, discovery session with you and have a one-on-one -on -one with you. Um, and then see if they want to have you as more of a long-term intense coach because that discovery session um, is 20 minute free session just to meet Carrie one-to-one -one and see if she, um, you know, if you, if you want to continue with her. And Catherine also just put her email in the chat. It's Carrie um, at lipedema hyphen simplified.org and you can it and you can just email or you can email your questions and possibly get you know get some coaching sessions from her and it's fabulous because she oh my gosh she's brought so much to so many of our women who have taken the c-sigs the last two c-sigs and like gail Kelly just wrote she um, carrie has helped her so much and i know other people have been so grateful to have carrie on the classes that we've been teaching. So that's one of the things I want to do before we go. The other thing I want to do before we go is I want to share a little screen with you because you're here and hopefully I can, because you're here on our, on our, um, webinar today, you can actually enter to win a self-care box. Um, Catherine has has collected up a couple of self-care boxes that are all full of wonderful things for us to to use over the, um, the course of our self-care, you know, everything we're loving ourselves. And so if you post a selfie on Instagram and or Facebook and you tag us, but we're going to tag Lipedema Project because all of the um, donations were to Lipedema Project for our, our um, Voices of Lipedema um, study that we're doing. So if you'll tag it, Lipedema Project, at, and then hashtag it, self-love webinar series, and that will enter you to win one of our boxes during the month. We have the social media folks. They'll be tracking it and entering you in. And they're so good at it. So, um, and the boxes are so fabulous. They're called self-love, um, self-care boxes. <laughs> and is, isn't it crazy that I actually had to like post a selfie so you knew what a selfie looked like? Yeah. <laughs> 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 so, you know, I just thought, oh, I, you know, we always add a little picture here and there. I'm like, I'll just take a picture of me. So anyways, make sure you do that. And if you do not have Facebook or Instagram and you're not on our circle site yet, because you can also post one there, but if you don't have Instagram or Facebook, just send either Catherine, Carrie, or me one of your selfies and tell us how much you love yourself or you love us or something, just write something. Okay. And that, and we understand if you don't have Facebook or Instagram, you really and we'll get you entered into the contest. There's going to be two giveaways, maybe three actually. 
I think we're going to do one on the 14th because it's Valentine's Day. One on the 28th because we have a special guest speaker coming in. And then probably one on the 6th because that's the wrap up. That's like when we're going to do the highlights of all the webinars. So, oh, look at that. Lori, Lori doesn't do selfies. Okay, Lori. So one of these days when we're on, when we're doing stuff together, you and me, I'll just like click a screenshot and you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, or just write to us. Okay. Okay. So, um, it's so funny. So Stuart, <laughs> she goes, I feel a bit odd seeing my husband's name show up. Um, so Jenny, <laughs> reach out to Isla, support at lipedema-simplified.org. That's Isla. And she will, she, she'll talk to you about that. Okay. Um, yeah. And copy me on it because it's easy enough and I can change it to Jenny and I can change it in the system too. So send it to support at lipedema-simplified.org and just copy me on it. I was wondering who Stuart was. <laughs> I, thought, I thought, I'm not asking. Because <laughs> last time, a Gail Straker showed up. <laughs> and I thought, oh, not me. <laughs> it was Linda. <laughs> but anyway. oh, I, 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 for now, I changed it, Jenny. But if it happens and you come on as Stuart, all you have to do is message whoever's doing the webinar and they can change it for you. Yeah, we'll do that. I'm so glad to know that that's what it was. I was like, who's Stuart? Who's <laughs> <laughs> Stuart? Nice. Right. So well, thank you so much, Carrie. And thank you so much, Gail. And thank you so much, each and every one of you. I know I got a lot out of this. <clears throat> that yeah. cycle is so painful. That cycle is just so much. I mean, it's so hard. And, uh, and I still find myself, um, you know, going into it. So this was fabulous, Gary. But it's a journey, isn't it? You know, it we, we, we just have to allow ourselves that space to kind of keep moving, keep learning, keep growing. Yep, exactly. It's true. And, and gentle. That's my yeah, whole gentle. thing, staying gentle with, with me and staying gentle with everyone and telling everybody, stay gentle with yourselves. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right, you guys have a wonderful weekend and we'll okay. see you soon. When? Okay. Sunday. We're, Sunday is Brian. Oh yeah. Yeah. Come on Sunday. What's all right. It? See you soon. See ya. <laughs>